0: okay I diverted a little bit from the uh, normally I always pick a exact piece title and in the Facebook invite I will mention to you what page you can read it in the Garden of Amuna and then my job here is to take it to the next level but today I didn't send out a page number I didn't pick a title from the Garden of Amuna rather I want to talk to you about Cairo 2011 so let's begin with what this has to do with the garden of emunah because we're going to take it from the emunah perspective number one the baha tov teaches us that the service of god with emunah faith is to believe that everything you see or hear is because it has a message to you a and b there's something you can do about it now obviously This teaching was always challenging, but pre-technology when there was a limited amount of knowledge that you lived in the shtetl, most of the people that lived in the shtetl probably didn't read Polish or Russian, they probably spoke Yiddish, so much so that when they got a letter they used to have to go to the scholar of the shtetl and ask him to read the letter for them, so life was easier. Less knowledge, less having to have a Munah, that I know this for a reason. But today, in the world of communication, technology, where everyone knows a lot more information than probably is healthy for them, it becomes very challenging. Because every morning you wake up and you're hit with so much information and you ask yourself, so what can I do about this? What can I do about this? What can I do about this? So obviously this teaching about shem tov is not supposed to be a bridge into the loony house it's to really understand that there's something i can learn out of this there's something i can do about this now in the world of emunah in the world of hasidus in the world of kabbalah we understand that every single human being and we're about to talk about this every single human being is the nucleus of the entire creation so much so that for those of you who study your daily portion of tanya you will remember that today's portion talks about how if you today in the wonderful modest land of florida was walking down the street and you were challenged by something you saw and the first impulse immediately shot up to your brain. And right then and there, you had to make a real decision. Do I give a second peek or not? The first impulse, you are not responsible for. That's the world of Abainani. The first impulse is there. But the second impulse is freedom of choice. And if you say no to that second look, that second thought... According to the teachings of Kabbalah, you have redefined the balance of Kiddushah and Sitra Akhra within your being, namely holiness and the other side. And by you doing that within your own being, acknowledging that you are the nucleus of creation, you have redefined the balance of global good versus evil. You have actually redefined not just global, but supernal balance of good versus evil. So when you go ahead and you see something, it doesn't mean that you have to get onto a plane and fly somewhere and make a difference there. It doesn't even mean that you have to not go to work today and spend your time doing demonstrations in Washington or in Tallahassee. What it does mean is that I need to internalize within myself what this worldly situation means and what I need to do about this in my life. So not everything you see on Fox News means that I need to now stop living my life and deal with poverty, um, abuse, uh, whatever it's going to be going on in the world. It's actually very unhealthy to try to champion every cause. But what you must do is ask yourself, okay, what does this mean to me in my life? Now, before I get caught up with Kabbalah, let me tell you a Talmudic statement. The Talmud says, why did the Torah put the story of the Sotah next to the story of the Nazir? Little information here. The Sota is the woman that crossed some boundaries of Tzniut. It is not a woman who had an affair, but it is a woman that gave reasonable doubt so we now have suspicion and there's a whole process with the water or the temple where you put god's name into it a certain torah portion has god's name into it and that makes the water magical and then the water checks her and then if she didn't do it then we actually have huge blessings out of this there's a very interesting story by the way how Hannah, hannah the mother of samuel threatened god that i'm going to put myself in that position because then i'll be able to have a kid it's interesting And I don't use the word threatening in a bad way, God forbid. But if if she did do it, then the water has another effect, both on her and that guy, wherever he is. The portion right next to it, its neighbor is the portion of Nazir. The portion of Nazir is someone who takes upon himself, primarily, not to drink wine. These are the two facets right now, but I want to talk about just the wine, because that's what we need to know for the Talmud. Can't eat any grape derivatives, can't touch anything with that family. And the Gemara says, why did the Torah put the two together? So let's look at something that the Baal Shem Tov approached it Kabbalistically. It actually has its source in Talmud. The Talmud says, because if you heard a story about a woman who was a sota, you need to react. And how do you react? Lewdness is very often an outcome of drinking wine, Partying too much. Boundaries get loosened. They get crossed. We got Taurus. So if you heard that in that other city, there was Miss So-and-so who was taken to the temple because of Sota, you should stop drinking wine for a while. So the teaching of the Baal Shem Tov isn't so out there, like what am I supposed to do to save the world? What you're supposed to do is control yourself. And if you believe that you are the nucleus of the entire creation, then realize your change changes everything. Parenthetically speaking, because I want to get to Cairo, but I spoke about this in my... Uh, we had over here a uh, special event for the sad story that happened in Mumbai. And that's exactly what I spoke about. My question to the room was... How many Satans are there? The answer, of course, is one. That means that that same Satan who's trying to convince me to speak Lashon Hara is the exact same Satan who's trying to convince the terrorists to blow up a couple of kids. There's no two Satans. There's only one evil force. That's all there is. When you think of it that way, you understand that if in my life I've weakened the Satan, known as the Yetzaharah in the Jewish world, then automatically I've weakened the one and only Sahara. so that affects how the Yitzhahara could or can't deal with a terrorist. So what the Baal Shentav is saying isn't really something where, you know, we've got to go into a drum circle and then start meditating. It's very practical. So from that perspective, if we're going to talk about Cairo 2011 and what's going on over there right now, I'm not going to have with you a political conversation. As I say, if you want to stay friends, don't talk religion and don't talk politics. I'm stuck talking one, so I'm going to stay away from the other. I'm not here to discuss politics. I do have a a lot of concerns about it. There's a lot going on over there. But... I want to talk to you about the point of view. What does Cairo 2011 have to do with me? Okay? Introduction number one. Introduction number two. There is a very romantic dance which always takes place between the change if it's a real real change you'll always find that it isn't zets on someone's head there's a romantic dance in which god allows us to softly receive accept and become the change such as let's start with joseph and his brothers one of the questions that almost all commentaries ask is what gave joseph the right to do what he did to his brothers. The question becomes even deeper that Joseph wasn't just messing with his brothers, mind you, most of them older than him, he was actually messing with his father because his father was hurting. The answers are amazing, but I want to share with you an answer that I personally heard from the Rebbe of Blessed Memory by Fabringen. The Rebbe mentions that what you're witnessing between Joseph and his brothers is the romantic dance that I was talking to you about a couple of seconds ago. Because if Joseph was to tell the brothers, I am Joseph, they would not have believed him. And the Rebbe brings so much proof how many times you find in the Torah that people wanted to get into the family of Jacob, it was royalty. We find it by the potty with Yosef. We find it with Tamar. That's why she went after Yehuda, the father-in-law. We find it many times. So was he all of a sudden to say, I am Yosef, especially when you're talking about a capital of interesting black magic, so the fact that he knows so much wouldn't either mean anything, they wouldn't believe him. So Joseph has to play a very romantic dance with them. On one hand, he's being really tough. On the other hand, he's doing something that doesn't make sense. He's accusing them. He's putting the food in for free. He's showing concern about Jacob. He's being very nasty to them. It was an interesting dance so that when the moment is right, Joseph can tell them, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And everything clicks. This is real. The same exact romantic dance took place for 40 years between the Jews and God. The Jews were slaves. They were taken out of slavery to be made a free nation, not just a free nation, but a nation of kingly priests, and we keep on finding that dance between Moses and the Jews. The Jews keep on slipping back into slave mentality. Moses keeps on pulling them out of slave mentality. It's going back and forth, back and forth, until before Moses dies, Moses tells them the famous verse. It has been 40 years that you now know God. God now has different expectations from you. So for 40 years, God was having this dance. Okay, you're slipping back, come forward. It's a nice dance that goes. Allowing the Jewish people to finally develop where they can actually go into Israel and truly be in leadership and create a real nation of kingly priests. The same thing the Rebbe explained happens also right now. If Mashiach was to be a one crack of lightning, most of us wouldn't handle it well. So that Rebbe mentioned then look what's going on in the world it was very interesting facts that were taking place the fall of communism it's very interesting the world things that were going on when Rebbe was talking about this and the Rebbe said there's a dance going on again hashem is bringing it into a tangible reality mashiach is real and all of a sudden on the other hand we get snapped right back what are you kidding me mashiach i mean what, what's we're ready for Mashiach. This is Mashiach. Did you see what's going on in the world? We keep on going through that dance back and forth. We dare to accept, we pull back. We dare to accept, we pull back. Hashem's doing that purposely. The shackles are being removed from us, not with shock treatment and not with something that's painful. It's, it's a flow. It's a flow that's going back and forth. They actually put an ad then in the New York Times after that tzicha. That was very interesting. It had a picture of a hand with a pencil. And the pencil was drawing like playing the connect the dots. They listed some very real global events that were happening. But you see that the pencil is spelling out M-O. And it's continuing. And it said on top, connect the dots. That's the second introduction. Now let's talk about Cairo. I think there's three levels, there's three lessons, very important lessons, that we need to take from Cairo 2011. Number one, what has happened there was actually, think about what's happening and how it came about, was about a total interesting shift from what used to be the authoritative leader is the only one who has power, to every individual can cause a tidal wave. And how did that happen was not by huge bloodshed, but by the gift of technology that many of us that are with white here are actually not that happy and we're fighting about. We're very bothered with our kids' Twitter and Facebook and all this stuff. But it's amazing what Hashem really is doing to empower such huge, unprecedented, unbelievable events. And the shift that's taking place here is one shift. Every single individual today who has a computer has an unprecedented soapbox Upon which to stand and tell the entire universe what he has to say. I'm gonna share with you something interesting. Racheli Reckless sent me a uh, link and she called me up and she said, You gotta read this. <coughs> I'm reading an article from a woman that I've never met and probably will never meet, and it's posted on the a website. And she's talking about how her husband brought her home, a shiur from an American Rav, who has this class in the Garden of Amunah called Does God Love Me? Does it ring a bell to you people? (laughs) At one point, as I'm going through the article, she quotes me there. And all of a sudden, what she says over there is, and I burst out crying. I was sitting there lost don't know this woman probably will never meet this woman I live in North Miami she lives and she says we're in Israel and I was given a gift to be able to touch a soul I was, been able, I was given a double gift that God let me know that I touched a soul which was her way of touching me back what has shifted here what I shifted here is that the sages teach us why was human beings created one? When the verse says, and the earth gave out animals, it doesn't say anywhere that there was only one cow slash ox bull that was created as one and then separated and then they had babies and yada yada. It's very conceivable from the verse. That the earth gave out a herd of oxes, a herd of dares, a herd of. But human beings were created one alone. And the Gemara wants to know, Lama Nivra Yechidi, why was it created one alone? To teach us that every individual has to say, that for me alone was the world created. And of course, the Rebbe Blessed Memory quotes this very often. And the Rebbe says, What does it mean for me alone the world world's created? Narcissism, entitlement, and <laughs> this beauty. No. It's because the world is waiting for me to make it happen. And this goes straight into the quote, which the Rebbe would almost always quote straight after this. The famous Maimonides, that every individual has to say that the scale of the entire world is straight balanced. And my next move is going to tip the scale. Which way do you want to tip it? It takes a huge amount of Amunah to, A, believe this, B, dare to act on it. One would think that it takes a lot of Amunah to be a follower. So I want to share with you something I once had with horseback riding. When you learn horseback riding, you will learn very quickly that every horse wants to be number two. Because number one, gets eaten, if anything attacks. Number three, what am I, some chopped liver? Number two. Because following takes a minimal amount of faith. Believing that you are a leader, that you can make a difference in the world, is what a Muna is really all about. To have and I'm not starting out with anyone that has a nine-to-five job but to have a nine-to-five job is one level of Amuna. To take a risk alone, an investment, to believe that God won't let you down, because you have a leadership position is a total different dynamics of Amuna. I was at a uh, leadership seminar once. And they had over there a big professor from Harvard speaking. And he was actually, he's a facilitator of many of these around, around the nation. And after he finished his whole delivery, so I walked over to him privately and I said, and what happens if after I heard your wonderful workshop, I decided I don't have what it takes to be a leader? What do you do then? He looked at me and he said, Rabbi, do you have something to say? I said, I believe so. Do you believe that that should be heard? I said, I believe so. He looked at me and said, so you're a leader. So the question wasn't whether I'm a leader or not. And to quote the teachings of Hasidis, everyone's a teacher and a student. There is no one who's just a teacher. There's no one who's just a student. And a teacher is a leader. The question was the emunah. To get up on a soapbox... To say what you have to say, to believe that you're going to be heard, to believe that there's going to be a tribe that needs to hear what you have to say and that needs your leadership. What that means is to believe even more deeper than that, that the road to victory is often wrought with prior failures and that's okay too. To have a in victory is also not the greatest Amuna. To have the Amuna that your failure was a preconditioning to the victory which waits to the you that's so much richer now because of your failures, we're talking greater amuna. So what happened in Cairo, I believe, what's happening in Cairo, whatever the outcome may be, it may be with mercy and kindness and less bloodshed, But whatever is happening in Cairo, the first thing you need to know that it was not done by conventional leaders. I want to share with you another personal story. I was on a federation mission. Actually, the last one I was on. And at that uh, federation mission, the last day, they had someone speak. And someone who was someone big in the uh, Mossad and at that present time he wasn't but he was introduced and and he gave a speech which left us very anti-climatic to our whole trip in Israel he was talking about then the whole dynamics it wasn't pretty and he basically was saying that the leadership today is scary on all levels in the super power worlds and and he wasn't talking very sweet I walked over to him after that and I asked him one simple question again quietly on the side I asked him tell me something you're talking about the leadership do you believe that sometimes changes don't come from the leaders it comes from the people and he shrugged it off like oh please go back to your books I wish I could see him now and talk to him about Cairo 2011, which, by the way, we're yet to see what will happen. But if if it's within God's plan, we're not looking at an isolated event. We're looking at the first domino of many dominoes, which is why I'm very concerned, because I don't think the other countries that are the other dominoes on the line are just going to sit down and watch whether the first domino is going to topple or not. But then again, I'm not going to get into that side of the story today. So, from a Munah perspective, I think this story is demanding of each and every one of us to embrace the unprecedented leadership power of an individual. To create a tribe. To create a tidal wave. To create a change. Like never before. This is not just happening on the world country levels. This is happening in plain local financial situations. The type of thing you can do by just being on the internet, picking up X amount of quote-unquote followers, it's amazing how quick a nobody can become a somebody with megabucks. If You dare to believe that God's greatest gift to mankind was that He put His fingerprint on every human. And God's fingerprint is that He is the center of the universe. And if I believe that God has His fingerprint on me, then I believe that I too, in my arena, am the center of the universe. And I could get onto a soapbox, and I could have a global effect. But you need to dare to believe that. You need to be daring enough to embrace that between you now and your destiny, you're going to have some failures. Because failures is the greatest classroom for leaders. But a Muna needs to be tested over and over again, not because God needs to know if you believe in Him or not. God never tests you because of what He needs to know. God tests you so that you can know what you need to know. Because most of us don't know about ourselves, what we need to know about ourselves, until we're tested. And passing a test tells us a lot about ourselves. Failing a test tells us wow about ourselves. It's interesting that I heard once in the name of the Babasali of blessed memory that he said he who was rich will be rich. And I always mumble to myself after that if he still has it within him. That is the real only deciding factor between he who was rich lost it and it's a bum on the street, he who was rich lost it and will become twice as rich. So I believe that's the first level we need to embrace. The first level of a from the story of Cairo is stop looking for leadership. You want to find leadership? Clean your mirror. That is the only leader in your life that should make anything of a difference. Number two. The second thing I think we have to learn from Cairo is something that communists knew way before we did. The ultimate weapon is not nuclear. The ultimate web weapon is something called knowledge. You will not be able to watch a single American movie about Russia without hearing this quote. We give knowledge on a need-to-know basis. When I grew up, as a kid, if I ever wanted to imitate Russia, that was the line I thought of. What are they saying? What are you playing with me? What they're saying is knowledge is power, and I will not give you a drop of knowledge that I don't have to. Because that's what makes me a Tavarish and you a nobody. We're watching this now amazingly in Cairo. It isn't for any little reason that China was the first one to make Google go back on their promise. It isn't for simple reasons that Cairo made Google promise that they will not be broadcasting into China what they're not going to be broadcasting into China. Stupid, China isn't. Bring that into China, and China's on the road to democracy. Because knowledge, knowledge is the ultimate weapon. Our sages, they knew that, after the destruction of the temple, our sages dismantled the rabbinet power, and all went into education. How amazing. The ultimate power in the Jewish nation is not the Jewish king. It is actually the rabbi. I'm not tooting my own horn. <laughs> because even the king has to listen to Bet Din, the courthouse. And ultimately speaking, until this very day, don't tell me who is the Macher in the Jewish community, because even the Macher will be brought to a court of Jewish law, and they will decide if he's right or wrong. And if they decide he's wrong, he's going to have to step down. So the rabbis had power in their hands. They were the Betin. They were the Word of God. They ruled over every facet of every Jew's life. They dismantled that and they became teachers. Because in exile, power level A is not enough. We need to go to greater power. And greater power is knowledge. So we have to go out there and teach and teach and teach. You know, one of the biggest plagues of our generation is something called insecurity. One of the greatest jokes they have is that will be a definite maybe. None of us are really sure about ourselves. I told a story here before once on this platform, I'll say it again, that I have a friend who's a character and a half, and in the airport one time, Walking, he said, watch this. Usually that meant uh, cover your face quickly. You're about to be embarrassed. And he went and he gave a shout on top of his lungs in the great JFK airport. Are you sure you're going the right way? We watched. Unbelievable how everyone... Stops and looks for a sign. (laughs) You walk in this direction because you already checked the monitor. And you looked at directions. And you looked at the signs. You knew you were going the right way. Why did you stop? Because the plague of our generation is doubt. Insecurity. Do you know why leaders become leaders in today's generation? Not because they know anything more than you do but they just exuberate with certainty. And that's why you can have someone who probably knows less than you be leading you. Because you know so much more wrapped up in insecurity. He knows so much less with a cockiness. You're going to follow him. The answer to insecurity is knowledge. The more you know, The more power you have, the more you can accept that, the more you can make changes. That is what's seeping into the Middle East through Twitter. Little things. But I want to tell you an interesting story. I had a cousin who, uh, when the unfortunate story happened in Chernobyl, he was in Russia then. And we were all panicking. He didn't know what happened in Chernobyl until after he left Russia. Are you starting to get how powerful knowledge is? So stop looking for the connection with the guy who this and that and the money and the power. You get knowledge and money and power are following right after it you embrace the first two things we just said that you are a leader because god created adam alone so that every human being will be the fingerprint of god i e center the universe i e leader Believe that. Believe it with all your heart because you believe in God. And then embrace the most powerful weapon, tool, that God has ever given mankind. Knowledge. One last point. The last point is that the reason why There's so much uncertainty to what's going on in the Middle East is because of something that I want to reflect upon in the last Parsha. In the last Torah portion, we have a very interesting phenomenon. God first commanded the Jewish people to create the vessels and then to create the house. You open up the Torah portion, Terumah. The first thing you're doing is an ark, the table, the menorah, And it isn't until after that where all of a sudden you're told, well, you have to make the roof and you have to make the beams. It's so mind-boggling that Betzalel asks Moses, is it normal to first make the furniture and then the house? Where are you going to put the furniture until you finish the house? Shouldn't we first build a house and then build the furniture? And Moses says, is that why they called you Betzalel, which means in the shadow of God? You must have been in the shadows when God was talking to me because that's what God said to me. Yet, God clearly first spoke about the vessels and then spoke about the house. And yet, God said, That's what I'm telling you, Moses. But when you build it, first build a house and then build the vessels. A little bit of Kabbalah here House is encompassing powers, it's circular. In the world of Kabbalah, you have three dimensions. You have food, which you digest inside, internal. You have encompassing power, number one, clothing. Clothing are encompassing, but they need to fit. And then there's the greater encompassing power, which is the house. You can have a little Napoleon in a huge, big palace. So when we talk about the house, We're talking about the infinite circular power. Vessels are the internal light. They go into the house. Moses was being told by God something extremely powerful. Yes, there is encompassing powers. Yes, there's the infinite circle. But the purpose is the internal elements, details. Finite behaviors. So therefore, I'm going to tell you first about the vessels. Because that is the purpose. But in order to get there, you're going to have to first build a house, which is the internal, external, encompassing, infinite, circular power. Let's talk a little bit about human language. The circular power, the infinite circular power is raw, intense, infinite passion. No changes take place without that. A little minor details. Adjustments take place without it. Change? Change takes a passion, which is circular, infinite. Think about Thomas Jefferson's Give me freedom or give me death. Give me liberty or give me death. That wasn't internal. That was overwhelmingly encompassing infinite circular. Changes will not take place if you don't get in touch with your deepest power, the infinite circular power of will in its fullest intensity. Thus they say, if there's a will, there's a way. But I'm talking about the will that would override any red flags that your mind will shoot at you. But before you create chaos, you better know your destiny. Before you create chaos of, I want to change. Don't tell me what you don't want. Tell me what you do want. Because if all you have to tell me is that you don't want this, you're going to create problems. Us in America know that very well. We're actually, unfortunately, very good at that. We go into countries. We know what we don't want, but we don't know what we do want. We create a vacuum, mess up global balance, and then we leave. And I'm not here to beat up on this country at all. Politicians are great about that. Let me tell you a line you probably heard in the last elections. We need change. What are we going to do? Doesn't make it that way. We're going to change. What are we changing to? Don't worry about it. We're changing. Don't you agree we need a change? Of course we need a change. Vote for me. And America voted. Most of us primarily focus on what we don't want. And if someone tells us they're going to make a change, we're all excited. I'm right behind him. The Parsha is telling us something very clear. And that's going to be the ultimate challenge of what's going on in Cairo. Do they just know what they don't want, or they are willing to also embrace and deeply know what they do want? Do not kick up chaotic, infinite, circular power without knowing where you want to get to. What I'm suggesting to you is that maybe Hollywood is wrong. Maybe you shouldn't first quit your job and then find out what you want to do for a living. Maybe you shouldn't just laugh at your parents and everything because love shall overcome. Maybe we should first give a look at what kind of household can he and I or she and I build together. I'm not saying that the impossible is still impossible. I think that what we're saying here tonight is that was once impossible is today extremely possible. But I think to quote the Rebbe, when the Rebbe gave a certain shliach over the head, it was by public for bringing. The Rebbe's mantra is a teaching of the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe, known as L'Chathchila Ariba, translated roughly... Rawly, over the top. And that's what the Rebbe asks. Don't first figure out where it's all going to happen, how you're going to do it. Just do something. Go out there. Have faith. And that's why most Chabad houses, if you ask them how they started, it was the impossible. We don't first find a community, put together a board, put together at least four years, create of money and everything. No. We're here in town. We're opening up a Chabad house. How are you going to pay for the bills? Don't worry. God will provide. But then this one shliach took Lechathchila riba a little too far and ended up in a huge amount of debts. I'm not beating up on the shliach. Trust me. The shliach has turned over an entire state. And then the Rebbe said, this, Father bringing. of course I tell you you have to jump. But before you jump, did you look where you're going to land? That's the story. So while I'll spend most of this lecture here getting you to believe that you are the center of the universe. You and you alone are the fingerprint of God. You and you alone are meant to be the ultimate leader and create the ultimate global change. And while I'm going to tell you step B. You better pick up knowledge because you're going to need some strong tools and weapons for your destiny. But I need to tell you that remember... That even though first you need to build a house, because if you don't touch your infinite power, you won't be making any real changes in yourself. And to quote Steve Jobs, you will not be making a dent in the world. You need infinite power. But for God's sakes, please, before you start getting into the infinite power, know where you're going to land. Have a real picture of what you want to be. i going to go back to horseback riding. Yeah, I got a little thing with horseback riding. <laughs> One of the things they teach you in horseback riding, and they also teach that in driving, right? Aim high. Don't look where the nose of your hood is now, because you're going to have an accident. Look where you want to go. In horseback riding, they tell you, when you're sitting on the horse, the mere fact that you look, you physically turn your body on the horse towards where you want to go, the horse senses it, and the horse turns in that direction. The power of vision, the power of knowing what the ark looks like before you start building the house is so important. Because just believing in a chaotic, immature, infinite power because you are the fingerprint of God is not enough. Having knowledge of how to make a change isn't enough. You need to know what the change you want is. Tell me what you want to be. Then get infinitely passion with faith that you are a leader. You don't react, you create. You can make a change for you and everyone else. And then pick up the knowledge you need to make it happen. Those are the three lessons that I personally think about over and over and over every time I think about Cairo 2011. That's it for tonight, guys.